Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. Now in its 175th year, Hillsdale is a truly independent institution where learning is prized and intellectual enthusiasm is valued. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to Hillsdale for their sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin. Our number, 877-381-3811, You know, it's so frustrating. You see people trying to work, being told they can't work. You see people who want to take a particular prescription with a doctor's okay. They're told they can't or they shouldn't. You see governors who are totalitarian in so many ways in these dark blue states and also in states like Maryland. You see this Russia collusion lie that went on year after year, the impeachment of an innocent man. You see the media treat one party one way and the other party another. One president one way and another president another. It all goes in one way. The media are always at odds with us. Always at odds with conservatives. Always at odds with this president, and frankly, all Republican presidents, but especially this president. And then they tell you they believe in a free press. And then they tell you that we and the president are the ones undermining a free press. And they've gotten away with this for too long, ladies and gentlemen. We do not have a free press. Whether it's a pandemic, whether it is a depression... Russia, Ukraine, we do not have a free press. We are propagandists. Statist, radical, progressive, Democrat propagandists. And the president's been right all along. They are the enemy of the people. And unfortunately, we have some very weak Republicans and weak conservatives out there who say... You don't attack the press, freedom of the press, the enemy of the people. You sound like a dictator. No, actually, it's the president, it's you, it's me, who believe in a free press, who embrace the First Amendment, who embrace the entirety of the Constitution. It is we who believe in the debates and ideas and and so forth and so on. It's not them. Whatever institution they control is autocratic, whether it's our universities and colleges that shut down open debate and academic freedom. Whether it's newsrooms, which do not have a diversity of views, groupthink, and pack mentality. And we have every reason to question the integrity, the veracity, the motivation of the American press in the aggregate. Every reason. Because at key times in our history... The New York Times, the Washington Post, 
radio and TV networks in more modern times have demonstrated that they don't believe in a free press, that they don't practice what they preach, that they are propagandists. And so when you watch a Chuck Todd or Jake Tapper, Wolf Blitzer, a Brian Williams, Andre Mitchell, go on down the list. When you read a Peter Baker or Maggie Haberman, these are not people who seek to be objective. These are people who do not have professional integrity. And they know it. That's why you cannot tell them from a lowlife like Joe Scarborough or Mika Brzezinski. A lowlife like Don Lemon. You can't tell one from the other. They're all of the same ilk. And at the New York Times, which seeks to truly destroy the core principles of this nation with its 1619 project and its daily propaganda. Same with the Washington Post. Really, there's no difference between these entities. They have a long history of lying, of deceit, and propagandizing. And I want to remind you about this as you watch the Sunday shows this Sunday. I don't know why you do, but you might. And I'm going to circle back to Peter Baker in a piece he wrote at the New York Slimes. Guy used to work for the Washington Times, but he figured out the way to make money and the way to be celebrated and the way to win awards is to go from the Washington Times to the New York Times. I've told you this before and I've written about this before, but it is very, very important as you're busy, many of you are struggling, that you should never take what you see on TV, the network news, the other news at face value. Ever, never. And the New York Times is the worst of the bunch, and yet the New York Times is the gold standard for the media, and for good reason. The New York Times, from approximately 1932 to 1933... Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin starved the people of the Ukraine. This is important. We've talked about it, but I want to underscore this point. Resulting in the mass genocide of millions of Ukrainians. It's called the Holodomor, or Great Famine of 1932-33. It was the culmination of a long struggle as was written in Human Events, between the Soviet state, non-Russian nationalities like the Ukrainians, and historically independent-minded peasants who'd been forced onto collective farms. It also resulted from Stalin's need for foreign exchange to buy Western machinery to aid industrialization. What does this have to do with anything? It has a lot, as you'll see. In late 1932... Stalin decreed that all grain should be confiscated and anyone interfering with this action should be considered an enemy of the state. More than 5,000 people received the death penalty as a result. Throughout the countryside in Ukraine and other grain-growing areas, starvation set in. Stalin sent troops to prevent farmers from leaving the land, where increasingly there was nothing to eat. And in response to pleas for food, 
Stalin called the famine one of the minor inconveniences of our system, quote-unquote. A Manchester Guardian reporter, great reporter, Malcolm Muggeridge, traveled to Ukraine to see for himself what was taking place there. In her book, Stalin's Apologist, Sally J. Taylor recounts that in a series of articles published in The Guardian at the end of March 1933, The Guardian being a British paper, Muggeridge confirmed the existence of widespread famine in his eyewitness account. The peasant population, he wrote, was starving. Quote, I mean starving in its absolute sense, not undernourished, but having for weeks next to nothing to eat. It was true, Muggeridge wrote. The famine is an organized occupation, worse Active war, unquote. So even from other news sources, such as the Manchester Guardian, the New York Times had to know the truth about the famine that was taking place in Ukraine. Even more, as the Hoover Institution historian and scholar, Robert Conquest wrote in his book, The Harvest of Sorrow, let us insist on the fact that the truth was indeed widely available in the West. In spite of everything, full or adequate reports appeared and he lists numerous European newspapers. And scores of other Western papers. In the United States, wide circulation newspapers printed very full first-hand accounts by Ukrainian Americans and other visitors. Though they were mostly discounted as often appearing in right-wing journals. Sound familiar? And the Christian Science Monitor, the New York Herald Tribune, and the New York Jewish Forwards. Gave broad coverage. But the New York Times, longtime man in Moscow, 14 years it would turn out, Walter Durante, a propagandist and apologist for the 1917 Communist Revolution in Russia and later Stalin and his murderous regime, reported otherwise. Indeed, the Times was proud of their man in Moscow. In 1932, Durante was awarded a Pulitzer Prize for a series of articles in the Times that covered up Stalin's atrocities. And from 1932 to 33, Durante wrote news columns for the New York Times, not only denying the fact of the catastrophic famine taking place in Ukraine, but censoring Stalin's role in the genocide of multiple millions of Ukrainians. Another Guardian reporter, Gareth Jones, also filed news stories about the famine in Ukraine the same time. Like Muggeridge, Jones had gone to the areas where widespread starvation was occurring, traveling some 40 miles into the midst of it, and was also horrified by what he witnessed and was told, which he reported in detail. But Durante then took aim at Jones's credibility and used his powerful perch at the New York Times to publicly demean him and the accuracy of his reporting in the news pages at the Times. In fact, on March 30, 1932, the New York Times man in Moscow wrote a piece in the Times titled Russians Hungry But Not Starving, in which he, among other things, dismissed Jones's first-hand accounts and countered him with disinformation. Quote, since I talked to Mr. Jones... I have made exhaustive inquiries about his alleged famine situation. I have inquired in Soviet commissaries and in foreign embassies. 
with their network of consuls, and I have tabulated information from Britons working as specialists and from my personal connections, Russian and foreign. All of this seems to me to be more trustworthy information than I could get by a brief trip through one, any one area. This is Durante writing. The Soviet Union is too big to permit a hasty study, and it's the foreign correspondent's job to present a whole picture, not part of it, he wrote in the pages of the New York Times. And then Durante exclaimed, and here are the facts. There is a serious food shortage throughout the country with occasional cases of well-managed state or collective farms. The big cities and the army are adequately supplied with food. There's no actual starvation or death from starvation, but there's widespread mortality from disease due to malnutrition. In short, conditions are definitely bad in certain sections. The rest of the country is on short rations, but nothing worse. These conditions are bad, but there's no famine, unquote. In the pages of the New York Times. Of course, this was a flat-out lie. The famine peaked in the summer of 1933. Unbelievably, on September 17, 1933, Durrani was at it again. In another report for the New York Times from Russia, Durrani assured the Times readers that all was well in Ukraine and that suggestions to the contrary were nonsense. Quote, he wrote, The writer has just completed a 200-mile auto trip through the heart of the Ukraine, and can say positively that the harvest is splendid, and all talk of famine now is ridiculous. Everywhere where one goes with everyone with whom one talks, from communists to officials to local peasants, it's the same story. Now we will be all right. Now we are short for the winter. Now we have more grain than can easily be harvested. But Durante knew there was a lie. He knew the ugly truth. As Professor Lusick of the Royal Military College of Canada has written on September 26, 1933, at the British Embassy in Moscow, Durant privately confided to William Strange that as many as 10 million people had died directly or indirectly of famine conditions in the USSR during the past year. Meanwhile, publicly, Durante orchestrated a vicious ostracizing of those journalists who risked much by reporting on the brutalities of forced collectivization and the ensuing demographic catastrophe, muggerage among them. Even as the fertile Ukraine, once the breadbasket of Europe, became a modern-day gulag, a place of skulls, Durante plowed the truth under. Occasionally pressed on the human cost of the Soviet experiment he did, however, evolve a dismissive dodge, canting, you can't make an omelet without breaking eggs. That is a Durante line. Indeed, wrote historian Conquest, Durante had personally told Eugene Lyons, UP's Moscow correspondent, and others, that he estimated the famine victims at around 7 million. What the American public got was not the straight stuff, but the false reporting. Its influence was enormous and long-lasting. What about the New York Times management? Did it know about this? Well, top executives have every reason to be suspicious, and in fact they were. For one, they could read what the other newspapers had written at the time of the famine. But the New York Times kept publishing Durante's stories anyway. Journalist and scholar Arna Beichmann, who I had met, was a good man. He's, he's since gone explained that the New York Times top brass suspected Durante was writing Stalin's propaganda, but did nothing. In her book, Taylor makes it clear 
that Car Van Anda, and managing editor, Frederick T. Birchall, an assistant managing editor, and Edwin James, the later managing editor, all of the New York Times, were troubled by Durante's Moscow reporting, but did nothing about it. And Birchall recommended that Durante be replaced, but says Taylor, the recommendation fell by the wayside. Now, why does any of this matter? You think you know, right? Well, I'm up on a hard break. I want to continue this. Please stay with me. That's very, very important. I'll be right back. Lovin. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. Levinforhillsdale.com. One of the greatest mass murders in the history of mankind, Joseph Stalin, had a friend in the New York Times. Certainly since the Russian Revolution into the early 1940s. And of course, they, Third Reich, Adolf Hitler, as the New York Times was censoring the slaughter of European Jews, they had a good friend too, did Hitler in the New York Times, for failing to reveal in any significant or effective way what was taking place. The press can be the enemy of the people. And today, the modern American press are the enemy of the people. Collectively, is the enemy of the people. Now, I'm not talking about Hitler. I'm not talking about Stalin. That was bad enough. And I'm not making any comparisons of that sort. What I'm pointing out is you have mass genocide and ethnic cleansing going on, and the New York Times was on the wrong side. Twice. Twice. But they're said to be for freedom of the press. I've got more. I'll be right back. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the 
essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western Theological Tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. The one-man antidote for liberal media bias, Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. Now, for all his propagandizing on behalf of Stalin, he was on the take, by the way. He had the best food, he had women provided to him, he had the best car chauffeuring around that uh, the government of the Stalinist regime could provide. He had access to Stalin. He got a Pulitzer Prize in 1932. In 1932. And the New York Times was very proud of it. Now why am I telling you all this? Wow, you're just telling us all this, Mark, to point out that the New York Times cannot be trusted. Oh, it's more than that. You think the people of the Ukraine thought the New York Times was the enemy of the people? I think they did. You think the six million Jews who died as a result of the Holocaust and the Third Reich and Hitler, the New York Times was covering that up? You think they think the New York Times was the enemy of the people and the Washington Post and all the other United States media that covered it up? You better believe they do. But I have a further point to make in a second. Now, I know there's some hosts that can do things in five minutes, and I congratulate them. I see no need to do things in five minutes. I believe you want to be informed. You don't want hit and run, ping pong balls bouncing around. This is very, very important. I understand it requires some focused attention, but that's why you're the smartest audience of all audiences. You're not looking for superficiality. Why am I bringing up the New York Times? I'm bringing up the worst examples of journalism, so-called, in modern times. In a newspaper that is capable of covering up such horrific atrocities, and worse, in the case of Durante, a propagandist on behalf of the genocidal maniac who was unleashing the genocide. What can we expect from such a newspaper? Here we know today that we had a prior administration that used the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the Central Intelligence Agency, the National Director of Intelligence Office, the National Security Agency, the FISA court, the United States Department of the Treasury, the United States Department of State. In other words, that used every federal law enforcement and intelligence agency it could to interfere in a presidential election and then to destroy the candidate and then to destroy the next president. 
through spies, illegal unmaskings, illegal leaks. Incredible. Incredible what was done to our country, what was done to our electoral system by the Obama administration. And the victim, the target, Donald Trump, is impeached. He's impeached for nothing. And the Obama administration, I believe it is the Obama administration, the president in the prior administration, is protected. Even though the extent of the police state tactics used in the Obama administration cannot be understated, he's protected by the New York Times. The conduct of his administration, the use and abuse of the police powers, is dismissed as a diversion by the New York Times. Here's a perfect example. Peter Baker. This appeared yesterday, 12.48 a.m. New York Times, changing subject amid a pandemic, Trump Trump turns to an old ploy. Blame Obama. President Trump has embarked on an aggressive new drive to rewrite the narrative of the Russia investigation by making dark and unsubstantiated accusations that former President Barack Obama masterminded a sinister plot to bring him down. Just think about that. Peter Baker has done no investigation into this. Nobody's talked to Obama, under oath or otherwise. The New York Times has made absolutely no effort to examine any of this in an investigative way. And the New York Times wants you to believe that all these things took place. Obama's FBI director, Obama's Department of Justice, Obama's CIA director, Obama's National Intel uh, director... Obama's Secretary of Treasury, Obama's Vice President, you go on and on and on. And Peter Baker at the New York Times says, the fact that Trump points this out, he is sinister. Or he's trying to say that it's a sinister plot. First sentence. On Twitter, on television, in the Rose Garden, he writes, and even on an official White House social media page, Mr. Trump in recent days has taken aim and his most recent predecessor in a way that no sitting president has in modern times, accusing Mr. Obama of undefined and unspecified crimes under the vague but politically charged catchphrase, Obamagate. So Peter Baker is Walter Durante. He's a propagandist. He's covering for Obama and the Obama administration. He doesn't ask pertinent questions in the course of his, his writing. How could Obama not know this? I mean, these things were in the newspaper, after all. Was he briefed before? What did the presidential briefing have to say about it? Not a word. The president went even further on Thursday by demanding that Mr. Obama be hauled before the Senate. Hauled? Somebody say he should be hauled? 
quote, to testify about the biggest political crime and scandal in the history of the USA, unquote, a scenario that itself has no precise precedent in American history. No precise precedent in American history. We just heard for three years that Trump should be indicted after he leaves office because of the position of the OLC and the Department of Justice that you can't sit a, indict a sitting president. We've heard this for years now. But when the president urges that, Donald, that Barack Obama should give testimony about what his administration did, we've never seen anything like this in history. Within hours, Mr. Trump's most faithful Republican ally in the Senate promptly announced that he would indeed investigate, although he would probably not summon Mr. Obama. He's attacking now Lindsey Graham. In flinging incendiary charges, now even the language Peter Baker uses is incendiary while he's accusing somebody of being incendiary. In flinging incendiary charges at his predecessor, Mr. Trump has offered no evidence and has not even specified what crime he was accusing the former president of committing. It would be obstruction of justice. That's what it would be. Obstruction of justice because of all these cases that went forward. But you see, Peter Baker's playing a game. There's not a single investigative organization that's questioned Obama yet. There's not a single media outlet that's had access to question Obama or that's asked for access to question Obama. So he throws it back on Trump. Well, you don't have any examples, do you? You don't have any examples, do you? We've got media report after media report of what took place in his administration. And Mr. Baker has no interest in even referring to any of them in his piece. Instead, Mr. Trump seemed to be tying the investigation by the special counsel, Robert Mueller, which had enraged him for years, back to Mr. Obama while hinting ominously at forthcoming revelations that will bolster his claims. He's been enraged for years, you see, that he's under criminal investigation. And now we know that a single person questioned under oath by Adam Schiff and his committee in secret, which never bothered Peter Baker either had one scintilla, one slice of evidence of Russia collusion. But he he doesn't understand why the president's been enraged at Mueller for years. Baker goes on like a good Walter Durante. The news focus on the former president comes as Mr. Trump appeared eager to change the subject amid the deadliest public health crisis to confront the United States in half a century. On a day when the death toll in the United States topped 85,000 and the government reported nearly 3 million more people filing for unemployment, Mr. Trump spent part of his morning attacking Mr. Obama. Now this is fascinating to me. They act like Donald Trump should only talk about the pandemic. And yet when Donald Trump has had press conferences in which he tries to talk about the pandemic... Who is it that says he ought to stop talking about it and just leave it to the scientists, the media? Who is it that sends in their, their young, numbskulled, kamikaze reporters to attack the president of the United States? The media. 
But there is something to be said for our republic. Is there not, ladies and gentlemen? For due process. For warrants. Based on probable cause. But not in Mr. Baker's world. No. In addition to diverting attention from the corona pandemic, he writes... Mr. Trump's focus on Mr. Obama allows him to try to turn the tables on his accusers by making them out to be the ones who are corrupt while simultaneously putting his Democratic challenger, former Vice President Joseph Biden, on the defense. Doesn't he sound like a mouthpiece for the Biden campaign? It's not putting them on defense, Mr. Baker. They were the ones in charge of the government when all this police state activity took place, which you have never reported on, Mr. Baker. You know, the New York Times got Pulitzer Prizes for spinning the Russia collusion story. And they won't give them back any more than they'll give the one back that Walter Durante got. Quote, this was all Obama. This was all Biden, Mr. Trump said in an interview on Fox Business Network. They aired on Thursday. These people were corrupt. The whole thing was corrupt. And we caught them. We caught them. When the host, Maria Bartiroma, asked if he believed that Mr. Obama directed American intelligence agencies to spy on him, Mr. Trump agreed without evidence. What do you mean he agreed without evidence? He runs the intelligence agencies, Mr. Baker. The president is the executive branch. He appointed the head of the CIA. He appointed the FBI director. He appointed the National Director of Intelligence. He appointed the, act, the uh, uh, Attorney General, then the Deputy Attorney General. Yes, he probably directed them, Mr. Trump said. And directed them could mean not doing anything to stop them. Once learning upon it. But if he didn't direct them, he knew everything. And you'll see that. Well, of course he knew everything. It was leaked to the newspaper. That's how I knew everything, or everything that was leaked, on March 2nd. Mr. Obama, whose advisors have dismissed Mr. Trump's comments as the ludicrous ranting of a president in trouble, see how this guy writes? He's Walter Durante. Issued what amounted to his own one-word rejoiner hours later on Twitter. Vote, he wrote. Now, I want to continue this. I want to continue this after the break because this is very, very important. Nobody's going to take the time to unravel this for you and with you. They're busy doing their five-minute thing. We take our time to unravel it because it's important. There's nothing more important when it comes to the press. I'll be right back. in. At Hillsdale College, faith and learning are integrated in pursuit of a common end. And I've been talking a lot about four pillars of the Hillsdale College mission. Learning, character, faith, and freedom. Today, I'd like to focus on faith. As the founders of our nation knew, God is indeed the first authority and the motive toward which all learning moves. Hillsdale understands that we come to really know things through reason and faith. And their students are taught to pursue truth through both. Founded in 1844 by Christians, students of all faiths are welcome at Hillsdale College and always have been. How does the college teach the 
essentials of the Christian faith and religion, all students must take a course, the Western theological tradition, as part of Hillsdale's rigorous core curriculum. The college also offers majors in religion, philosophy and religion, and Christian studies. Hillsdale's campus is a welcoming place in which to discuss and practice faith. Respectful dialogue among Christians of different denominations and with students of non-Christian faiths is just one hallmark of this stellar college. Now, to learn more, visit levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. So you'll notice there's nothing in this by Peter Baker about any of the revelations about the January 5th, 2017 meeting and what was learned about that. Nothing in here about the 39 unmaskings of uh, General Flynn, the leaking of his name. Nothing in here at all. Because he is a Walter Durante in defense of these police state tactics by the Obama administration, and he's anti-Trump. So this isn't news, this is just propaganda. That's what this guy is, he's a propagandist. I'm going to have to spend a little bit more time on this in the next hour. I hope you'll stick with me, because I say this is very, very important. You've got to spend more than five minutes on something like this. Remember this, it's not just this issue. It's the same media, the same media, that has done everything it can to undermine the ability of the president to address the virus, the ability of the president to press to open the economy. It's the same media that will circle the wagons around left-wing governors who are conducting themselves, again, with police state tactics, destroying lives, destroying businesses, destroying jobs from coast to coast. And they claim just follow the science. But they don't really mean that. They mean just follow Anthony Fauci. There's other scientists out there who have very long records of experience and knowledge and expertise. We brought many of you, uh, many of them on the program, brought them to your attention. You won't find them in the New York Times or the Washington Post. You won't find these people in the newsrooms across America because they have a narrative. And their narrative is whatever the Democrat Party narrative is, whatever the left-wing narrative is. More when I return. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Peter Baker is illustrative of the Walter Durantes throughout the media today. But I'm focused on him in specific because he draws attention to himself with this piece he wrote. And, you know, the President of the United States, he can't be concerned about the abuses by the FBI and the CIA and the NDI and Treasury Department and the State Department and on and on and on while we have this virus and this pandemic. He shouldn't be talking about these things or asking questions about these things. Now, 
none of these reporters would have said during the Vietnam War that the Democrats shouldn't be distracting the nation with Watergate, would they? While our young men are dying in the jungles of Vietnam, the Democrats are focused on Watergate. Can you imagine that headline in the Washington Post or the New York Times? They were leading the fight to take out Nixon. So that's just ridiculous, actually. Ridiculous. Let's continue here. In this piece by Peter Baker of the New York Times, he quotes, they cherry-pick, you see, a George Washington University historian, Matthew Dalek. I'm quite familiar with Matthew Dalek. He says, what makes Trump's attack so egregious in contrast to his predecessors is how he simply concocts scandals out of thin air cooking up conspiracies that have no relation to historical fact. I don't know where this historian has been, but he's a buffoon. Absolute buffoon. And that's exactly why Peter Baker cherry-picks, uses him, because he gives him the line that he wants. This is a propagandist, you see. Peter Baker. Mr. Trump has long harbored a personal animus toward Mr. Obama... Actually, I thought it was the other way around. Mr. Trump spent much of Mr. Obama's presidency championing the racist and false birther conspiracy theory that Mr. Obama was born in Africa. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as you know, and I took a lot of heat, I always rejected that. But I didn't know that was a racist conspiracy theory. Did you, Mr. Producer? I knew it was a conspiracy theory. Mr. Obama reciprocated by mocking Mr. Trump at the White House Correspondents Association dinner in 2011 as the reality show host sat nearby seething. You see, he's the reality show host. Obama's never referred to as the community organizer. Mr. Trump turned back to Mr. Obama in March 2017. Two days after Jeff Sessions, then the Attorney General, recused himself from the investigation into Russian election interference. A move that infuriated the President and led to the appointment of Mr. Mueller. Well, of course it infuriated him. As Mr. Trump, let's see here, stewed, as Mr. Trump stewed at Mar-a-Lago. This is amazing. The, the uh, hyper-language he uses is Florida Club. An aide showed him a story from the conservative website Breitbart, quoting the radio host Mark Levin, accusing Mr. Obama of police state tactics. The president took to Twitter to assert that Mr. Obama had my wires tapped, a claim that Mr. Trump's own Justice Department later debunked. What exactly did Mr. Levin say on that March 2nd radio show? He doesn't say. Where did Mr. Levin get his information from? Among others, the New York Times. He doesn't say that. Isn't that interesting? And what are the headlines in the New York Times use the word wiretap? Here's the headline that ran in the newspaper that day on January 20th. January 20th, the day of the President's inauguration. 
as the New York Times is propagandizing for the police state Obama hacks who are left over. Quote, wiretap data used in inquiry of Trump aides. Unquote. Wow. Where did that come from? Trump's imagination? Did Mark fabricate it? Wiretap data used in inquiry of Trump aides. <clears throat> that came right out of the New York Times. Now, I admit, it doesn't mean that Obama tapped Trump's wires. But it's worse than Obama tapping Trump's wires. His entire administration was focused on defeating Donald Trump. And then smearing Donald Trump and his holdovers at Justice and the FBI and CIA and so forth in taking out Donald Trump. So this headline barely touches the surface. But Mr. Baker doesn't mention that that was the headline in the New York Times. Nor does Mr. Baker mention that during my radio show, I used eight or nine examples that came out of the media. Nor does Mr. Baker mention that several of those examples came right out of the New York Times, which was fielding the police state leaks from the FBI and the intelligence agencies against the President of the United States. Walter Durrani, anybody? And the piece goes on. It's very long, and you can tell that Mr. Baker is highly narcissistic. In fact, in my view, he sounds like a psycho. But that's okay. Now think about something. With the long, sordid, and horrific history of the New York Times, what kind of person seeks to be a writer for the New York Times? And yet most journalists do. Because then they've really made it. It's like playing baseball for the Yankees. Seriously. This is what they die for. To write for the New York Times. And the New York Times does not tolerate dissent. It does not tolerate intellectual diversity. It compels groupthink. Maybe not in black and white, but it clearly does, based on who gets hired and who gets promoted. Who the editors are and who's the managing editor. And who they submit for Pulitzer Prizes. This is the New York Times, the enemy of the people. You have fundamentally police state tactics being used by the prior administration, the Obama administration, and they're defending them. They're defending the people at the FBI. They're defending the people in the intelligence agencies. They're defending the Obama administration. And what's interesting about this is, Mr. Baker is in that story in particular, but others too. It says the information was provided to the White House. Could it be that President Trump sees what you folks wrote? And now the big story on news, in the news, ladies and gentlemen, is that Donald Trump is strongly encouraging Lindsey Graham to call Barack Obama to testify. Lindsey Graham says there's separation of powers issues here, and I do understand that. But then who's going to question Obama? Peter Baker? No. Who's going to question Obama? Nobody. You're not allowed to question Obama. 
Now you can get Trump's tax returns. You can get the tax returns of his businesses. Uh, You can threaten to prosecute him after his presidency. You can try to threaten to prosecute him during his presidency. But do not dare ask Barack Obama any questions that may offend him. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Peter Baker is a propagandist. He's dishonest. He's a Walter Durante. He comes to his job with an agenda. And so does virtually every single person who writes for the Times, the Washington Post, who broadcasts on CNN or MSNBC, NBC, ABC, or CBS. We do not have a free press. We have elements of a free press. But in the aggregate, we do not have a free press. You and I, we are the ones who defend, again, the notion of a free press, freedom of speech, and so forth. And again, beyond what is a a crucially important issue, our republic, look at how the press has conducted itself the last 90 days. Have you gotten honest, scientific information from the press? No. You've gotten one point of view. They regurgitate whatever Anthony Fauci tells them. They're not skeptical. They don't raise questions. There are other experts, other scientists. They don't matter. Who do they promote? Andrew Cuomo. A disaster. Whose decisions have cost senior citizens their lives in the state of New York. Who do they attack? DeSantis in Florida, whose decisions protected and saved senior citizens in Florida. Who do they promote? Gavin Newsom, who is a Mussolini-like figure in California with the way he rules. Who do they attack? The governor of Kentucky, because he wants to give people their liberty back. We've seen a number of these governors, particularly the blue state governors, use the opportunity to punish political opponents. Gun stores, shooting ranges, churches. Used to be that the newspapers were concerned about things like this. No longer. Civil liberties don't matter. Unless, of course, somehow they can fit into the statist agenda. In fact, article after article in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and elsewhere would make you think that all these people protesting who own these little stores, who've lost their jobs, were losing everything, their homes, their life savings, their small pensions, who are having difficulty providing for their families and now have to rely on the government. You would think they were all supremacists, Klansmen and neo-Nazis, if you read the New York Times. And they would know something about it, by the way. They would know something about it. I'll be right back. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. 
So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. I want to remind, I want to remind Peter, can I call you Peter Baker? The Obama administration that he protects, that he so cherishes, I want to remind him about this administration. Putting aside the President of the United States, Donald Trump. The Obama administration spied on Members of Congress went into five of their computer systems that was under Brennan. Remember that story, Mr. Producer? A lot of people don't remember this. The Obama administration intercepted communications that members of Congress had with the State of Israel and Jewish organizations to monitor their views and positions on the Iran deal. The Obama administration used the FBI to investigate the Associated Press. James Risen of the New York Times, James Rosen of the Fox News Channel. This is the Obama administration. No evidence of anything, right, Mr. Baker? Obama acted against the media in a variety of significant ways because of his police state mentality. Again, I point this out in Unfreedom of the Press. A retired Washington Post executive editor writing an opinion page explained that, quote, the Justice Department secretly subpoenaed and seized from telephone companies two months of records for 20 AP phone lines and switchboards used by more than 100 reporters in four of the AP's news bureaus. The Obama administration subpoenaed and seized records of telephone calls and emails between several New York Times reporters and government officials, between a Fox News reporter and a State Department contract analyst, and between two journalists and a former CIA officer. Now, specifically in 2010, the FBI spied on James Rosen, a then Fox News reporter, collecting his cell phone records, seizing two days of his personal emails, using a State Department security badge to track his movements in and out of the department. The FBI also accused him of violating the Espionage Act of 1917, at the very least, either as an aider and a better and a, or co-conspirator with one of his government sources. Remember that, Mr. Baker? That's not in your piece either. So in other words, there was a mentality and an action plan by the Obama administration. James Risen, reporter for the New York Times, was also treated as a co-conspirator with a government source who was indicted by the Obama administration under that 1917 Espionage Act. Risen was subpoenaed. The government sought access to his phone and computer records, tried to compel him to testify against one of his sources, and for several years threatened him with imprisonment. 
Risen would later describe the Obama administration as, quote, the greatest enemy of the press, enemy of press freedom in a generation. The Associated Press found that, quote, the Obama administration used the 1917 Espionage Act with unprecedented vigor, prosecuting more people under that law for leaking sensitive information to the public than all previous modern administrations combined. Obama's Justice Department dug into confidential communications between news organizations and their sources as part of that effort. In response to the Obama administration's surveillance of the AP, its CEO, Gary Pruitt, asserted, quote, these records potentially reveal communications with confidential sources across all the news-gathering activities undertaken by the AP during a two-month period, provide a roadmap to AP's news-gathering operations, and disclose information about AP's activities and operations that the government has no conceivable right to know. The Obama administration also briefly entertained the idea of overseeing the content of radio programming because of the quote-unquote structural imbalance of such content. The draft proposal from the FCC legal department included a program that would place government monitors in newsrooms, quote, to determine how stories were selected, whether there was bias in reporting, whether critical information needs were being met, and on and on. Peter Baker, police state tactics. Have you read the Inspector General's report, Mr. Baker? Both of them? The New York Times hasn't broken any, any of these stories with respect to Russia collusion. It has promoted them. It has, perpetuate, it, it has perpetuated the police state tactics. And the New York Times didn't run a across-the-top headline on their front page when documents were released demonstrating that all those secret hearings, that testimony taken under oath in the basement of the House of Representatives by Adam Schiff and his committee... Every single significant witness in the Obama administration, not one of them had a scintilla of evidence of Russia collusion. Not one. And Mr. Baker spends his time attacking the victim and defending the perpetrators. Walter Durante, you better believe it. It's Peter Baker. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. And proud of it. Call the Mark Levin Show at 877-381-3811. As social distancing has become the new norm, it's more important than ever to call, text, or video chat with our loved ones. Which means you need a low-cost wireless service that still has a great quality of service. Well, you can feel confident with Pure Talk USA. Pure Talk USA covers 99% of all American households. And my friends, during the month of May, like right now, you can enjoy unlimited talk, text, plus one gig of data for as little as $20 a month. 
And if you're an AMAC member, you can get plans as low as $10 a month. That is real money that Pure Talk is putting back in your pocket during the time you need it most. And you can even keep your number and your phone. And Pure Talk's customer service is all American-based. They're the only wireless provider that AMAC endorses. They are the only wireless provider that I endorse. So you know they care about you. Switch to Pure Talk today and start saving every single month. Dial pound 250 and say the keyword Mark Levin. That's pound 250, say the keyword Mark Levin, pound 250, promo code Mark Levin. Now's the time to get it. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. By the way, this Sunday on Life, Liberty, and Levin, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time, is a blockbuster. I will talk to you for the first half of the program, and then I'll bring Molly Hemingway in, who is terrific, for the second half of the program. And as you know, we're going to dig into this and other issues like nobody else can or will, given the format of my program, and of course, given the host. But I hope you'll check it out. If you can't watch it live, you can always DVR the show. It's 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox and 5 p.m. Pacific. It's a very, very, very important show. It is pushback against the media and the other propagandists out there. So I hope you'll watch it. Let me take some calls here. All right, let us go to Jeff. Westchester, New York, the great WABC. Jeff, go. Hello, Mark. It is a pleasure. I consider you like a big brother. And uh, Thank you. I want to sell, say that your parents are proudly looking down on you each and every day, for sure. For Thank you. you. Thank you. Yes. Um, I want to share with you just quickly, like clockwork, each and every Friday night at about 8.58 p.m. when you say goodbye to your extended pet family, and then when you get to your parents, my eyes fill with tears. It's almost like the mm-hmm. Pav- Pavlov's response. It's amazing. And my, my, my point I wanted to make, yeah. I'm, I'm, the son, I'm the son of a survivor of the death camp Sobibor, mm. uh, with the large, largest, most successful prisoner uprising in World War II, second in scope to the Warsaw Ghetto. Mm-hmm. My father was Philip Bialowitz, who uh, was born the same year that your dad was born. And uh, it's, it's amazing. I just was wondering, um, I was thinking about like, if my father knew and if his survivor friends actually knew the extent that the New York Times went to in order to conceal the atrocities that were taking place, and if only, if only your book had come out uh, prior to 2016 when, unfortunately, you passed away, how, how revealing it would have been. It's just amazing. Well, I, your I father sounds like a remarkable, like was a remarkable human being who went through hell and raised with his mother, your mother, his wife, a wonderful, wonderful son. The New York Times, what the New York Times has done has been a great secret because the media are not going to turn on themselves. And the New York Times, while it put out a few reports here and there, has always downplayed what they did regardless. And what they did was an abomination. And so what they did in 1932, praising and promoting Stalin while he was uh, slaughtering the Ukrainians, And what they did shortly thereafter in the late 30s and right up to 1944, which is to provide effectively cover uh, for uh, the slaughter of the Jews. Not that they supported it, but they didn't. The American people had no idea. Not until 1944. The Europeans knew. 
obviously, uh, is an abomination to me for which they can never, never get right. So when I see these reporters at the New York Times and the New York Times says this, I say, the New York Times can go to hell and so can all of its reporters. I would never work for a corporation that covered for two mass murders, would you? Undoubtedly, no. A corporation. That's what it is. That's what the New York Times is. It's a corporation that prints newspapers. That's in the, the, uh, the so-called news business. And it is so uh, distant from a, a notion of professional journalism, which is what they used to wrap themselves in. It's not even funny. That's why I took time to go through Peter Baker. But I could go through Maggie Haberman. I can go through any of them. They're all pretty much the same. Same over there at the Washington Post. They're all pretty much the same. And when you watch CNN and MSNBC and some others on some other platforms, NBC, ABC, what, and so forth, you see exactly the same mentality. When you watch the president trying to talk to the American people about vaccinations, about their different therapies, about what they're doing with masks and this, that, and the other, and they bring in individuals who have as their purpose to destroy him, to undermine him, to try and humiliate him, to play gotcha and so forth. That's not a press. That's a frat house. That's a sorority house. That's, 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 uh, that, that, that's a disgrace. Because the reason there's freedom of the press is for us. Not for CNN. Not for the New York Times. It's for us. So the American people can learn what's going on. All through this Russia collusion thing. The reason the New York Times, the Washington Post, and the other media did not dig into the, the, the perpetrators and their police state tactics, is number one, they support Obama. Number two, they support the Democrat Party. Number three, they were co-conspirators. None of this would have been public in the media, and I wouldn't have put some of it together on, in March of 2017, but for the fact that the New York Times and the Washington Post and other media outlets were working with the FBI and the intelligence agencies and the White House on the leaks. They were perpetuating this lie about, a Russian, about Russian collusion. They're handing themselves Pulitzer Prizes and other awards. And even now, they send in the same political hacks dressed up as professional journalists into the White House and to other events to tell us about the coronavirus and tell us about the economy. The same people. It's appalling. I want to thank you for your call, Jeff. And thank you for your parents. And God bless them. God bless them in the afterlife, as I do my parents, my father-in-law, and so many others. Aaron, Raleigh, North Carolina, XM Satellite, go. Yes, Aaron, go right ahead, please. Uh, oh, uh, it is an honor, sir. I, um, I view you like a teacher. I grew up with you, and I, I really appreciate you oh, having me you. on. Thank you. And so... Um, Throughout my life, I've had the unfortunate problem of uh, being, if, if I'm not with the agenda, as you kind of pointed out earlier, I'm in the wrong. And so, again, we have, because of this coronavirus, um, things are beginning to reopen here in North Carolina, and yet 
they're not going to open churches. If anything, uh, the governor has said that it's churchgoers and the First Amendment believers that are the problem, why this is spreading. And so now uh, they're letting graduations happen in person, but not opening churches and infringing on our rights. And I just, uh, you know, I'm shocked that this is continuing to happen and that uh, just being blown under like this it just it... well what's happening in these democrat states and you have a democrat liberal governor won by like 13 votes or something um they just uh, this is the mentality this is who they are now churches should be able to open the states can give them guidance at this point we know a lot about the data no thanks to the models that were used early on What the state can be doing, rather than attacking churches, is attacking the problem. The way others have done in other states. Now what do I mean by that? You have senior citizens in nursing homes, in assisted living facilities, and other, may I say, old age facilities. You can protect them. You can provide direction and guidance in those areas. Uh, And you can even do more. You can... uh, You can compel certain types of behavior in order to protect them because they can't protect themselves. People with various comorbidities. You can do the same thing to a lesser extent. But I don't understand this. We're never going to open schools again. We're never going to open churches and synagogues again. We're never going to have meetings of people. We're never going to socialize again unless we do it over the Internet or we have a bullhorn and yell at each other. It's absurd. Absolutely absurd. Particularly at this point point at this time and when you look at certain states you know every state's not new york every state's not california every state's not new jersey or michigan it's a big country out there um every state doesn't have to even in terms of the guidance it gives be as aggressive and when you look at the most aggressive states isn't it interesting it's interesting aaron that and we're going to touch on this soon what cuomo did to the people of new york Particularly the most vulnerable. Now, I've been on this story. I was the first one on this story, not because I was uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes, but because we had a caller who called into this program on March 6th and laid out what was taking place. She's the uh, director, the medical director of a nursing home in Rochelle, New York, the epicenter. And she was telling us what Cuomo was doing, told us about a directive he issued, pointed out the same day the Wall Street Journal piece on it, I mean, to have a governor that orders people with coronavirus-positive tests to go into nursing homes and assisted living homes, and then he's treated as if he's some kind of a compassionate, smart guy, is appalling to me. I guarantee you, Aaron, that more people have died as a result of Cuomo's decision than have died by going to church. And I want to thank you for your call. Let's continue. Ernest, Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, listening on the great WABC. Go. Hello. Good evening, Mark Vin. It be me. How are you? Doing good, doing good. That topic of Obama. That Obama, what he, what he has done to this country is, is a travesty. He's lied about everything he said about, from, from the insurance, from the Benghazi, to uh, um, uh, Fast and Furious, 
Um, and and they, I know he's in deep with, 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 with his Russian collusion. There's no way that can go on without him knowing. And he's and then he. Well, at a minimum, I assume he read the newspaper. And he knew that something was going on because of the leaks by his own administration, number one. Number two, we know a little tip of information in that January 5th, 2017 meeting. Fifteen days before he was to leave the presidency, he calls all the top people from his law enforcement, intelligence departments, and the vice president. They're all meeting, and then he asks the FBI director and the acting attorney general, or I should say the deputy attorney general, to meet with him afterwards. He knows about the, the, uh, the, the eavesdropping on General Flynn. The deputy attorney general didn't know about it. So what does that tell you? That tells you that these intelligence heads and Mr. Comey were providing information to Obama. And why would they just provide it on Flynn? If they honestly thought, and they didn't, but if they honestly thought the Russians were interfering in our election and colluding with Trump, why wouldn't they tell Obama? Why wouldn't they tell Obama that they were spying on the Trump campaign? Why wouldn't they tell Obama that they went to the FISA court? The whole purpose of the FISA court is to reveal uh, counterintelligence activity that's aimed at our national security. In other words, that exists to inform the President of the United States as the Commander-in-Chief. But we're supposed to believe he didn't know anything. And we're told to believe this because they're not going to ask him. They're not going to ask him whether he's under oath. They're not going to ask him as reporters. Nobody's allowed to ask Obama. Nobody. Just like this phony whistleblower in the, uh, in the uh, phony Ukraine matter. Nobody's allowed to ask that guy questions. Nobody's allowed to uh, delve into his background. There's a few excellent reporters who have, uh, but nobody's been able to get to the guy. You're not even allowed to mention his name in the news media. You can't even mention his name in the news media. Uh, So this is how it works, which completely undermines the country. Thank you for your call, Ernest. We'll be right back. Lovin. You know, the left in so many ways is tortured and often insane. Remember when Cuomo would go on and on about you have to choose between a life and a dollar? And he's shoving uh, corona-positive patients into nursing homes while he's demanding hundreds of billions of dollars from the federal government or billions of dollars from the federal government. You know what a dollar is? You know why we have currency? Currency takes the place of bartering. And you know why we have bartering? Because people want to eat. And so people used to barter. Some still do, but in lieu of currency. They used to trade things. Then your more advanced economies, your precious metals. Then supposedly more advanced economies, I start to wonder... Printing money and printing coins. What's the purpose of money? I think the purpose of money is just to buy massive vacation homes in Hawaiians. No. The first purpose of money is substance. So you can feed yourself and your family, clothe yourself and your family, put a roof over your head. And work. And work. That's why when people say the choice is between a human being and money, 
or the choices between safety and the economy. These people are absolutely moronic. I am still sitting here waiting for the CDC, the NIH, and all the rest of it, Peter Baker over there at the New York Slimes, to give us the numbers of the people who have died from other maladies as a result as a result of shutting down our economy. How many hospitals have closed? How many hospital beds have been lost? How many doctors and nurses have gone out of business? We don't get any of those numbers. You want to know why? Because that would provide some balance and some pressure to open the economy and give us some of our liberty back. I asked a question, the prior caller, very nice lady, and I asked her two, two callers ago, tell me how many people have died as a result of going to church? I can tell you how many people have died as a result of being in nursing homes in New York City. We all shop online a lot. A lot more now than ever, really. But did you know you can make online shopping even better? You can with Honey. Honey is the free online shopping tool that automatically finds the best promo codes and applies them to your cart. Just download Honey to your computer and shop on all your favorite websites like normal. Wait a few seconds for Honey to scan its database of all the working coupons on the web and then watch your price drop. Another way to save money. Honey works on nearly every online store, including Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Macy's, Etsy, and a whole lot more. Not using Honey is literally passing up free money because it's 100% free to use for you and installs in just a few seconds. Plus, it's backed by PayPal. So you know it's secure and it's reliable. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Levin. Joinhoney.com slash L-E-V-I-N. Joinhoney.com slash Levin. Now for those who seek to blame the President of the United States for the deaths that are occurring in our country, you can see it on the Drudge Report, Mediaite, and others, Peter Baker and so forth. Why doesn't Mr. Cuomo get any of the discredit for what has taken place? More on him when we return. From the Westwood One Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Joe Biden yesterday doing a virtual roundtable. Joe Biden has uh, moved, I think, from his basement to his dining room. Uh, We have a uh, very watchful eye on him as he begins the process of actually moving around within his own home. 
He's very presidential, as you can tell. We have grocery workers out there. We have truckers out there. We have doctors and nurses. We've got all kinds of people working out there who are allowed to work. Some of you are not allowed to work, which drives me nuts. But Joe Biden is hiding. And he's hiding not because of the virus, but because he is an idiot. So here we have a virtual roundtable yesterday. Cut 11, go. This is not a moment for excuses or deflections or blame game. We're, 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 it's a, we're in the middle of a pandemic that had cost us more than 85,000 jobs as of today. Hold on, hold on. 85,000 jobs, genius? 36.5 million jobs. Oh, this guy. Wouldn't he be great in charge of masks and ventilators and hospital beds and nuclear missiles and all? And he doesn't come under any serious scrutiny by the press for all the reasons we talked about. Go ahead. Lives of millions of people. Millions of the people. lives of millions of people. Millions of people. Then he quickly tries to clarify. Go ahead. Millions of jobs. You know, and we're in a position where, you know, we just got new unemployment insurance this morning uh, n- numbers. 36.5 million claims since this crisis began. 36.5 million. Oh, Lord, please protect us from this. Please, please protect us from this. Now, he made a statement about Tara Reid, and it's being said, my, what a bold statement. An uncompromising, bold statement for Biden about Tara Reid. It's all over now. He can move on. By the way, did you notice that the lawyer for the phony, most recent Disgruntled employee whistleblower out of HHS is the same lawyer for Blasey Ford. Did you notice that, Mr. Producer? Yes, it's the same left-wing hack lawyer. Deborah, what's her face? And I noticed she wasn't wearing a mask. Did you notice that, Mr. Producer? She was not wearing a mask. Let me say this. Some people can benefit from a mask. I don't mean medically. They can just benefit from a mask. You understand. I think all liberals should be forced to wear Nixon masks. That would, be, that would be quite a thing. I don't know, if I were one of these fascistic governors, I suppose, in one of the blue states, I would insist not just wear a mask, wear a Nixon mask. That'll teach him. So here's Joe Biden on MSLSD last night with the crackpot Lawrence O'Donnell. Cut nine, go. Do you remember uh, Tara Reid, who worked there for about around a year in 1992-93? Well, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't. But look, let me get something straight. No, no, no. no. He, that, what kind of a dumb question is that? He didn't remember crap, Larry. May I call you Larry O'Donnell? Lar? Do you remember Tara I, Honestly, I, I, don't. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't remember her, honestly. Well, she worked for you for several years, was in charge of your end. I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. Go ahead. When a woman makes a claim that she has been harassed or abused, and this claim has changed as it's gone on, but harassed or abused, she should be taken seriously. She can come forward, share her story. She should be taken seriously. Now, this is what amazes me about all. You see, you got to go through the left wing 
um, loops, hoops, I should say. You got to go through the left-wing hoops before you can declare you're innocent. You notice that, Mr. Producer? Well, if a woman comes forward, uh, she should be believed. Uh, she has a serious claim of being harassed. But she's a liar. I never did that. I'm telling the truth. I don't even remember who. But she should be able to come forward and be listened to, don't you know? What does that mean? She should be listened to but not believed. Taken seriously but not believed. And he figures he's covering his base with all the left-wing kooks. Probably is. Go ahead. And it should be thoroughly vetted. And in every case, what matters is the truth. Truth is what matters. Now, we know that's not the case. You, of all people, should know. You tried to destroy Clarence Thomas with a lie. And you tried to destroy Kavanaugh. You encouraged people to try and destroy him. So the truth is not the issue. Not with you, genius. Go ahead. And the truth of the case is nothing like this ever, ever happened. She has a right to be heard, but then it should be vetted, and the truth only... Well, how should we vet it, Joe? It's the right to be heard and the right to be dismissed. And Joe has another very important point to make. Cut 10, go. Well, I think they should vote their heart, and if they believe Tara Reid, they probably shouldn't vote for me. I wouldn't vote for me if I believed Tara Reid. Okay. Well, I'm not voting for you regardless of Tara Reid. Now, that said, he figures that's done. What, what a definitive statesmanlike statement. No, that doesn't, has, it doesn't have anything to do with the truth. If you don't believe me, don't vote for me, or she should be listened to and taken seriously and vetted, but she's not telling the truth, this is all gobbledygook. This is all gibberish. But the left is fine with this, ladies and gentlemen, because the only women who have rights when it comes to the left are liberal women or women who are going to undermine Republicans. That's all. They're the only women who should be heard. Other women, other women, they can be heard. They should be taken seriously. They should be vetted. But in the end, uh, dismiss them. Tara Reid is a Democrat. Tara Reid worked for a Democrat senator. Tara Reid voted for Hillary Clinton. And now Tara Reid sees why liberalism and Democrats really do not stand for women. They stand for power. And poor Tara Reid's really out there by herself. They are never going to let her, let her prove her point, even if she could. Because that would mean she's taking out the putative Democrat nominee for president of the United States. And they can't tolerate that. She's just one woman. Shut the take one for the team, that's all. That's all because, after all, Joe Biden's the guy. I heard one anchor say, well, you know, Trump really is, doesn't have clean hands on this sort of thing. You know, I, he's been accused of sexual assault, too. Sexual assault is rape. Pure and simple. What Tyreed is accusing Joe Biden of is rape. And she was very specific and detailed about what he did. I would ask this and other anchor men out there, anchor women. Uh, who has accused Trump of rape? Did somebody accuse Trump of rape? Did somebody accuse Trump of doing 
to a 26-year-old woman what Joe Biden did? And this is how they're going to defend Joe Biden now? Tyree comes forward and they attack Trump. We have a pandemic and they attack Trump. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. No, this is Joe Biden. And the other thing Biden and his team and the media are doing is they're sending the word out. If there's any other women out there, don't you dare come forward. Don't you even try to come forward. Because my guess is, if this is true, didn't just happen one time. Perverts are perverts. And the Democrat Party should know, with Bill Clinton in particular. Really? Lyndon Johnson. Really? John Kennedy. Go down the whole list. So that's Biden. But don't worry. Because Joe Biden is a serious man. And he's appointed Ayach. A Stalinita. May I call her a Stalinita? I'll coin the word. He's appointed her to be in charge of his Green New Deal program. So all of you blue-collar Democrats out there who work on assembly lines, who work with your hands, electricians, plumbers, bricklayers, painters, carpenters, you know who you are. Joe Biden just appointed your worst enemy to advise him on the Green New Deal. I'm telling you, if they keep the House, take the Senate, and then have the White House, you won't recognize this country. And that's why the media are so hell-bent on destroying Donald Trump. Because they agree with these people. They are these people. That's who their families are. That's who their, their spouses are. That's who their girlfriends are and boyfriends are. That's who they cheat with, may I say, with all due respect. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. All right. Peace in the Daily Caller. Exclusive. New York admits knowingly undercounting nursing home deaths after quietly changing reporting rules. Andrew Kerr, investigative reporter, the New York State Department. I didn't notice Peter Baker at the New York Slimes doing this story. He's so concerned about the virus and human life. But he doesn't write these things. 
He just hates Trump. New York State Department of Health acknowledged that its recent reporting does not fully reflect the known carnage coronavirus has caused among nursing home and adult care residents. The revelation comes as New York Governor Andrew Cuomo is under fire for his policies regarding nursing homes amid the coronavirus pandemic. New York is the only state with large coronavirus outbreaks among its long-term care facilities that doesn't count residents who died at the hospital. New York quietly changed the way it reports long-term care facilities around April 28. New York has omitted an unknown number of coronavirus deaths in recent reports regarding residents of nursing home and adult care facilities, and the New York State Department of Health Care acknowledged it in a statement to the Daily Caller today. In early May, those reports quietly began omitting long-term care residents who died of coronavirus in hospitals. Even so, New York still leads the nation with 5,433 reported deaths at nursing homes and adult care facilities as of Wednesday. The revelation comes as New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. You following this, Peter Baker at the New York Times? You haven't written a damn thing about this. Instead, you're attacking Trump. Faces criticism for ordering nursing homes and other long-term care facilities to accept patients from hospitals who had tested positive for coronavirus. Cuomo rescinded the March 25 order, which experts say led to higher levels of death among nursing home residents on May 11th to allow such facilities to wait until a coronavirus patient tests negative before readmitting them. By the way, it's good that the media, conservative media, other media, have finally caught on to this issue. We've been dealing with this since March 26th. It's been very lonely. The NYSDOH confirmed to the DCNF that until around April 28, it was disclosing coronavirus deaths for all nursing homes and adult care facility residents, regardless of whether the patient died at their long-term care facility or a hospital. But the the department made a subtle change to its disclosures beginning around May 3. You see how devious and diabolical these leftists are? Their policies are killing people, literally. So they changed the reporting to change the stats. Well, we'll count this death over here and this death over there to protect the governor. Everyone has to protect the governor, right, Peter Baker? Oh, yes, you've got to protect the governor. And notice these decisions by these governors are blamed on Trump. You go over to liberal websites like the Drudge Reporter Media. It's Trump who's responsible for the deaths. Not boneheaded decisions by the like of Cuomo or Newsom or Whittier or any other dunce out there. So that's a big deal. Oh, but now they've uh, reversed course. Reversed course, and they did it very quietly, you know. They don't want anybody to know. Because first and foremost, we got to make sure Governor Cuomo was celebrated. He's celebrated. And DeSantis who took the absolute opposite approach. He was trashed by the Miami Herald and all the other left-wing kook newspapers that populate that state. It's a great state. The papers suck. As in most states, I might add. Can you imagine New York and New York City? Can you imagine New York if your governor had been DeSantis instead of Cuomo? Really, think about that. DeSantis instead of Cuomo. 
you'd have more people who are living. I can tell you that right now. Mark, what are you trying to say? I'm not trying to say anything. I said it. You'd have more people who are alive, senior citizens, as a result. They have this Wall Street Journal piece from yesterday. New York sent recovering coronavirus patients to nursing homes. It was a fatal error. Oh, you don't say. In late March, Dottie Hickey got a call from Luxor Nursing and Rehabilitation at Mills Pond, the nursing home where her sister lived. The 79-year-old was being moved to make space for incoming hospital patients recovering from the coronavirus. Ms. Hickey was told the St. James, New York facility had no choice but to take in these patients under a new state policy. Ms. Hickey said that after a few days, she struggled to reach staff for updates on her sister. And after repeated calls, one employee told her why. The nursing home was overwhelmed with cases of COVID-19, the illness caused by the virus. So, Cuomo sends in these people. And then it infects the place. While people who want to open barber shops and pizzerias and on and on and on are told to stay home. After mounting criticism and thousands of deaths in New York nursing homes, including several individual facilities that have lost more than 50 residents. Think about that. The state on Sunday reversed the mandate, which said nursing homes couldn't refuse to accept Patients from hospitals who have been diagnosed with COVID-19. New York now says hospitals can send patients to nursing homes only if they've tested negative for the virus. I, I, I still sit here in absolute disbelief. Absolute disbelief on what this governor did. Cuomo in a news conference Sunday said the new policy on hospital transfers would reduce the burden on nursing homes. Oh, you don't say, genius. The original policy issued from the Department of New York Health Commissioner Howard Zucker had come amid a, quote, scramble to provide more hospital beds. Now, this is, again, nuts, as I've said over and over and over and over again. They had extra hospital beds at the Javits Center, thanks to the Army Corps of Engineers at the direction of the president. And they had the comfort with a thousand beds sitting there in New York City. All they had to do is ask the federal government, hey, can we send these people over there? And the president would have said, yeah, absolutely. But they didn't. I'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine, full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. 
love him or hate him or really, really hate him. The Great One is on the air at 877-381-3811. Now, I noticed that uh, Joe Biden is becoming increasingly hostile to the state of Israel. And why wouldn't he be, considering so many of the reprobates that surround him, and considering his base and considering his party? Remember, the Democrat Party was the party of the Klan for a long time. The Klan hates Catholics, hates Jews, hates blacks, hates Hispanics, hates minorities. And it's never really been able to shake off all of that even though it does play the identity politics game, one group against another. And so uh, the state of Israel, more and more, is coming under attack by Joe Biden. He has said uh, that moving the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, the U.S. embassy, was a mistake. He rejects Israel's return, the people of Israel, to their ancient homeland, Judea and Samaria. And not even all of it, just pieces of it. Biden says no. You must remember Biden was the number two man in the most anti-Semitic administration since Franklin Roosevelt, who was the most anti-Semitic president since Woodrow Wilson. All good progressive Democrats. But Obama was that, in my humble opinion, and I said it at the time. Nobody treated another country, let alone the Jewish state, the way Obama did, because that's the way he thought about such things. So Biden wants to undo, excuse me, redo the Iran deal, a disaster, thinks that moving the embassy, the American embassy, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem was a big mistake, rejects the idea that Israel should have security and that the people who live in their ancestral homes should be allowed to stay there. So Biden is very, very hostile to Israel. But for liberals, and liberal Jews in particular, it won't matter. Why? Because they don't live in Israel. That's why. And because, as my wife likes to tell me, liberal is the key word. Liberalism is their religion. It's like liberal Catholics who are no problem with infanticide. That's a personal choice. Well, it's not the choice of the baby, I can tell you that. Now, you don't understand. No, I do understand. When people use the religion to promote hard left ideological positions. It really is confounding when you consider Marx despised religion. He was an atheist and he vouched to destroy it because it's just one of those institutions that stands in the way of government. So increasingly, and of course Biden will be said to be, no, he's very mainstream when it comes to Israel. He really is. He's, he, he's very mainstream. No, he's not. First of all, he's an idiot. That, that is certifiable. But you can see by the positions he's taking, the appointment of AOC on the Green New Deal, 
and the embrace of other radical, hardcore left-wing Democrats where his administration, God forbid, where it would head, where it would go. So who exactly is rooting for the Biden presidency? All of our enemies. All of our enemies. China, of course, they hate Trump. Vladimir Putin, too, despite what you hear from Adam Schiff. I'm starting to think Adam Schiff is a mouthpiece for the Russians. I really am. I think he's a mouthpiece for the Russians. He's done more damage. And who benefits from it? The Russians, the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Iranians, and the Democrats. Who benefits from a Biden election? The Democrats and the fascists and the communists all over the world. Have you noticed that, Mr. Producer? Isn't that interesting? So our enemies are rooting for Biden because they know he's an empty suit. Literally. And they know that the individuals who will surround him will be old Obama, Obamaites and Clintonoids with their hemorrhoids. Yes. Bring them all back. Oh, I can see it now. Samantha Power. Who shall we unmask, Samantha? And I don't do unmasking. No, they do it in my name only, you know. Bring back all the old FBI boys to spy there, to leak to the press. You know, bring them all back. They're good. Sure. I can see Comey back there taking notes in his sedan, you know, giving them to the New York Times. Sure, it's the old boys network. So our enemies want Biden, and the Democrats want Biden. Go figure. How is that possible? It's very possible. All right. Let's take another caller, shall we? Yes, we can. Let's see here. Barbara, our friend Barbara in Harlem, New York. Barbara on WABC, how are you, my friend? I'm wonderful. Can't complain. How's your beautiful daughter? Oh, my beautiful daughter is wonderful, and we are so thankful that you're giving out such wonderful information about this COVID-19. And the experts that you've been having on your show and all of that have helped us tremendously. And I don't care what people say, you're right, and we know the facts are with us and on our side. Well, I haven't, the, Peter Baker doesn't even acknowledge these other experts, so they can't be experts. They're crazy people out there, and they want to keep us tied up. They want to roll back our civil liberties. And even they, we had a rally in lower Manhattan last Saturday, and they were arresting innocent American citizens. Terrible. Gathering downtown. Yes. Absolutely terrible. You know, they're destroying our economy. They're destroying our civil liberties. And then they claim that if you don't agree with them, uh, then you want people dead from the virus. Meanwhile, they're the ones shoving uh, coronavirus-positive patients in the nursing homes and assisted uh, living facilities. And they're the ones who uh, created a situation on the subways in New York City that became untenable, and same with the bus routes, where more and more people were in, were in tighter and tighter areas, less trains, less buses. Uh, I, I mean, I think when somebody really writes about this, and it won't be in the New York Times or the Washington Post or any of those rags, Somebody really writes about this. It'll be on the shoulders of the local officials who made a lot of these decisions. Meanwhile, these national news organizations and national websites are trying to trash the president of the United States. who wants to open the economy and give people their lives back. It's appalling. Barbara, I've got to go. I really want to thank you. Call again next week, please. 
We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. We only have about a minute and a half. I want to go to Roy, Knoxville, Tennessee, Sirius Satellite. Roy, you got about a minute. Go. Roy's gone. After all that great buildup, Roy wanted to defend Andrew Cuomo, and I wanted to listen to this. Because here's my test for those who support Andrew Cuomo. Would you have your elderly parents or grandparents in a nursing home where Andrew Cuomo is governor? Well, I understand if people live there already and they have no choice. But the guy was from Knoxville, Tennessee. Would he do that? No. Why? Because he loves his parents. That's why. At least you have to assume he does. We won't be able to get to the rest of the callers. I mean, same thing in Massachusetts with this idiot Governor Baker, a Republican. A nursing home in Boston lost 80 veterans. 80 veterans. Who treats veterans and the elderly this way? Liberal blue states. That's who. Disgusting. And then says blamed on Trump too. All right, ladies and gentlemen, every Friday in your honor, America. Here we go.
week is officially over. The weekend begins now. Please watch Life, Liberty, and Levin, or DVR, at Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's a big, big show, really big show. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, all of you folks, thank you, who are feeding us, clothing us, and helping us through this pandemic. And we want to open this damn economy. Good night, Spritey, Griffey, Pepsi, Smokey, Zelda, and Gigi. We miss you. And good night, Dad. Good night, Mom. And good night, Leo. We miss you very, very badly. I'll see you right here on Monday. Be safe. From the Westwood One Podcast Network.